and uh, we are picking things up in Romans chapter 5. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to go from uh, verse 12 down through verse 21. That is a continued uh, you know, thought here, just to the fact that one man brought death and one man has brought life. And so uh, let's start by, I don't want to go down to verse 21, but let's read through verse 17. And then we'll set the table for this and just jump into our Bible study and just pray God that great pray that God will greatly bless our time in the word here this morning. So it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin for until the law sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Notice verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation but the free gift which which came from many offenses resulted in justification for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one jesus christ now as we've been here in romans uh The main things we've been looking at is, number one, the fact that we're all sinners. We've all transgressed God's law. And again, Paul went to great lengths to establish that, that all Gentiles are sinners, all Jews are sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God, and we need a Savior. And praise God, that one Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the cross of Calvary to atone for our sins, He rose from the grave and defeated sin and death. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone, we have salvation. In our previous last study in the book of Romans, we just saw that beautiful, you know, picture of this and God's love for us and all of it in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, a question that I have heard many times And it's a question that obviously Paul had on his heart to answer is how can one man die for the sins of the world and make the way of salvation for all men, for all of us that have sinned and are under condemnation? And this text that we're in this morning, it really answers that question, because as we've already read and we'll go into great detail, and it's the same thought really reiterated over and over here again in verse 12 through 21 with all kinds of truth sprinkled in and so forth sin and death came by one man when adam sinned in the garden he brought curse on this world and absolutely mankind took on a sin nature he is from the dust but listen there is a heavenly man who came he came absolutely without that sin nature as the son of god And just as through one man death has come, through one man life is available, through one man life comes to all those who receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And absolutely, Paul here is really wanting to teach us this. I love it because 
he's answering questions that oftentimes people wrestle with. And as we break this down, listen, it really even all the more, I think, builds our faith and allows us to rejoice in the finished work of the cross. Because again, we see that one man started this mess and one man has come and cleaned this mess up. And that one man is the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, let's jump up here to verse 12 and get into this. And we just pray that God will greatly bless our time out here in the word. It says again there in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Some key words that we start off here with is number one, therefore. And so really, again, it's a, it's a building on the thought that was there before. So he's saying, therefore, with, or with that said. And so real quickly, what was said before, we touched on it a little bit already, but going back to Romans 5, verse 6, and I think it's important that we go back to that, especially because it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Romans. There in Romans 5, 6, it's there in your notes. For when we were still without strength, and remember we saw what that meant was when we were sin in sin, we were unable to save ourselves. We didn't have the means to save ourselves. We were dead in the water when we were without strength in due time. And remember, we saw how, again, exactly according to prophecy, Christ came. We saw Daniel 9. It was really given a perfect timetable of when the Lord would come, when he would be cut off. And in that exact due time, because God makes no mistakes in his planning, in his prophecy, in his calendar, at the perfect time, Christ died for the ungodly. Again, Jesus came to atone for our sins. And then it says in verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And then again, it's worthy of reading twice. But God demonstrates and remember, we emphasize the S there, not demonstrated, but he demonstrates it. It's an ongoing demonstration. He demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And how glorious is that? And all our offenses against God and our rebellion against God. When we were in that place doing our own thing, worshiping the God of our belly, again, mankind in rebellion, God showed us his love for us in dying for us while we were his enemies. I mean, that is just a glorious thing. So he demonstrates his own love towards us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, much more. And remember we saw last week or our last study and the one before we kept going back to that phrase, much more. You know, he's done this for us, but wait, there's more. We're going to get some more, much more. There's a few much more. So much more, much more this morning in our text. But much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So again, he demonstrates his love for us. He atones for our sins. We're justified by his blood. And then even more than that, we're saved from wrath. What a glorious truth. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more. So again, wait, there's more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And again, therefore, there in verse 12, we could ask the question, well, how can we receive that reconciliation through one man? And again, 
That's what he wants to show us. And he says, just as. So this is the key. Just as death and sin or sin and death came through the one man, Adam, we'll see justification and eternal life comes through the one man, Jesus Christ. So let's ask the question, first of all, and try to answer it. How sin and the word sin here, it means the habitual practice of sin or a sin nature. How did that enter the world through one man, the first man, Adam? And this is something as a church we're familiar with because we go back to this over and over and over again, probably more sermons than not. I'll go back to Genesis to talk about Adam and the fall because it's really a key to understanding so much. But again, it's in our text this morning. So let's go back to that sin that entered into the world through that one man. And we know it started there after God had created man out of the dust of the earth. He formed him. He breathed life into him. We read there in Genesis 2 that God gave Adam not the ten, but the one commandment. He had one commandment. There in Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And then notice what he says. And God's not a liar. He says, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we won't get ahead of ourselves. But what he was talking about there was physical death setting in, as well as a spiritual separation from God that would put man in a place where he's spiritually dead in the sense that he wouldn't have the means to save himself to be right with God again. Because, again, there's a wage that comes with sin. Now, we know what comes next. There in Genesis 3, we read about the temptation. And let's just read it this morning. A lot of times I'll allude to it, but let's read it this morning. It says, now the serpent, and we know, again, this serpent was a beast of the field that had been possessed by Lucifer, who had fallen at this point, the devil, Satan, our adversary. Now the serpent was more cunning. And it's interesting, this word cunning, it means crafty, shrewd, or sensible. And what's interesting about that is that we're going to see this cunning serpent would bring a crafty, but a sensible argument of why Adam and his wife Eve should eat of the tree sensible in the sense of fallen man looking at things from his own reasoning but absolutely not sensible at all if you stand in god's word who says if you eat of this tree you're going to die then it makes no sense to eat of it whatsoever right but he would bring a crafty and a quote sensible argument to Eve. And that just stood out to me as I was just going over this again. I've gone over this a thousand times, literally. And that just popped out to me because how oftentimes when we're tempted to sin, it seems sensible when we lean on our own understanding. But again, when you take that temptation in the light of the Lord, it's like, this doesn't make sense at all. This is a foolish thing to partake of. And you'll see that argument here I'll break it down how it seems sensible what he says. So again, the serpent who was more cunning or crafty or more sensible than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Has God indeed said? And again, we've talked about this so many times, how Satan always wants to attack God's word. He wants us to, again, question the word of God. And God had said it. If you eat of it, you're going to die. And when God says it, it's final. God does not waver. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word absolutely endures forever. But he says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And again, we've touched on this many times. God never said you can't touch it. But again, as you start going down that avenue of questioning God's word, what men oftentimes do is they start taking away from God's word and they start adding to God's word. And that never works out well on either end. Verse 4 Then the serpent said to the woman, and again, here comes his sensible and shrewd argument, you shall shall not surely die. Now again, they had never seen death at this point. They didn't even know what that was. Again, God said you'll die, but death came with sin. And so he says you surely shall not die. And I can see how that would make sense to Eve because she's never seen death. If you've never seen something, then it would make sense for someone to say that's not going to happen. You're like, well, that makes sense because we've never seen that before. He's very crafty. He is, again, very shrewd in his arguments. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And this would make sense to her as well. Why would God not want us to eat of that tree? Well, again, We've never seen death, so that makes sense. And if we've never seen death, then it makes sense that we wouldn't die because we've never seen it. Then it makes sense. Oh, now I know why God wouldn't want us to eat it. He doesn't want us to be like him. He's jealous or he's afraid of competition. And then it says next for verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, again, sensible. Well, it looks good to eat. That makes sense. It was pleasant to the eyes. It looks nice. It doesn't look like something that would bring death. Surely something that would bring death would have a skull and crossbones on it, right? And desirable to make one wise. Nothing wrong with wisdom. Look at it will show you the difference between good and evil and so forth. When that sensible and shrewd argument came forth and all she had to do is step back and say, wait a minute, it's been said or it's written the day we eat of it, we're going to die. And this could have been put down. But instead, she got drawn away with a shrewd and a sensible, sensible argument that absolutely only made sense if you shun God's word and you take it out of the equation. But when you bring God's word into it, it doesn't make sense at all. And again, look, at this is kind of a lesson in the lesson. That's true with every temptation that comes along, is it not? So she took of it, took of the fruit and ate. And she gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And when it says they knew they were naked, it was a picture of them knowing we're in sin. That we're no longer covered by the Lord's righteousness. We're no longer in right relationship with the Lord. We see our, you know, at our failures here and so forth. 
And again, what did they do? They started the effort. They started the first legalistic campaign. We're going to sew fig leaves together. We're going to do the work to cover ourselves and cover our sin. But it took the shed blood of a lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, that man from heaven to make that way. So again, when Adam sinned there, absolutely sin entered the world and then death through sin. Because God said, if you sin, you break this one commandment. You're going to die. We know again this brought the course of physical death. God would say to Adam there in Genesis 3.17. Because you heeded the voice of your wife. And have eaten from the tree which I commanded you saying you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake. And everything in creation changed. A curse came upon this world. And look at this is why everything around us, you know, this is why you got to remodel your house every 10 years because a curse came and it's all breaking down and so forth. This is why there's thorns and thistles. And now he have to earn his keep by the sweat of his face. And then again, notice there in verse 19 in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And again, this is the curse of sin physically till you return to the ground for your. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust shall you shall return. God had not created man with the purpose to die, but God in giving man a free will, he chose to sin. And again, now you came from the dust, you're going to return to the dust, you're going to die. And again, all of us are subjected to that physical death because of the sin of Adam. But listen, this also brought a spiritual death. And this is seen in Genesis 3.23. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to the ground of to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. He placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's a picture of that breaking of fellowship that man had with God before again before the fall Adam walked with the Lord he had perfect fellowship again God is holy and Adam was in a place of holiness again he was in right standing with God he walked with God but when he sinned he was moved to a place now of wandering in a fallen wilderness because of his choice to be his own God there was a separation there because of his rebellion that's when sin entered the world death through sin and guess what death has spread to all men everyone out in this garden is a sinner all of us are it's spread to everybody absolutely it went forth like a virus that everyone has and everyone is even born with because this changed even man's nature At this point, man took on a sin nature. Again, the wages of Adam's sin was death, not only to him, but all men, as his action brought a curse on the world. He changed the nature of man as well as man's relationship with God. And this is seen throughout the scripture. Notice Ephesians 2.1. And he's talking to those who now have come to Christ, but he describes where (coughs) where they were before Christ. It says, and you he made alive, <coughs> excuse me, who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And then notice right here, this is key. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so again, Adam was not created with a nature that was sinful. Again, he wasn't by nature a child of wrath. That came when he ate of the tree. And God said, if you eat of it, you're going to die. And it was a curse that would not just affect him, but it would affect his children and his children's children and his children's children and his children's 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 children and everything else, so on and so forth, down the line. Again, even like Lucifer, before he fell, there wasn't a sin nature there, but temptation came and he said, I want to put my throne above God's. And there was a change in his nature that came with that when he took on that rebellion. Exact same with Adam. He walked with God, but sin changed that. And then again, it was passed down to everyone after that who is a descendant of Adam, a descendant of Eve. David made this really clear. King David, a man after God's own heart, as declared by the Holy Spirit of God. So it's absolutely true. Some people say, I'm a man after God's own heart. Are you really? When the Holy Spirit says you are, guess what? You are. And this is what David said about himself in Psalm 51.5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin my mother conceived me. So David's declaring right there. He's not saying here that his mother had him out of wedlock. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying here is that I was even brought forth in iniquity, or I was even conceived with a sin nature. This is how much damage that sin did back there in the garden this is why jesus said that sin comes directly from us you're like where's the origins of sin in the world you know all this sin out there where's that come from you know where it comes from the heart of man (laughs) a sin nature notice what jesus christ said he's an authority on these things in mark 7 21 he says for from within out of the heart proceed evil thoughts adulteries fornications murders thefts covetousness wickedness deceit lewdness an evil eye anyone ever give you the evil eye an evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness and then notice all these evil things come from within and defile a man and yes it's true what you sow into your life will affect what comes out of it as believers we know we want to sow the things of god into our heart and when we do that there's absolutely way more fruit of the Holy Spirit versus when, you know, we just sow the things of the world. But listen, even putting that, putting that aside in our, again, sinful nature, yes, there's influences, but those influences are coming much from other men and women and so forth because, listen, ultimately when man sin, you can't blame the devil Man chose to sin and then man took that sin nature on. So he became in many ways like that serpent after he fell. Look at who can I, who else can I get to fall? It just naturally comes out of us. You're like, Steve, you're not building up our self-confidence out here. What's, our self-esteem is being crushed. Yes, 
God's word crushes it, but it crushes self-esteem so that we can rise up in Christ's esteem, which is so much better. This is why even the Apostle Paul, and this is the Apostle Paul after he's been born again. He's, he's been ordained as an apostle. He's planning churches. He's writing epistles as the Holy Spirit moves upon him. And we'll get more into this, Lord willing, down the road. But notice what Paul says concerning himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, for I know that that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, I, I will not to do that I practice. Now, now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And this is the Apostle Paul, and it's a whole chapter where he's wrestling with, again, his new nature in Christ or the filling of the Spirit of God. We're a new creation in Christ. But until that day we go to be with the Lord, there is still a sin, you know, flesh nature as well. And there's a war that goes on between the two of them. It's almost like those old, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons where, you know, there's an angel on one shoulder and then that little devil pops up on the other. Right. And they start talking. And, you know, who, who are you going to follow there? Because, again, when Adam sinned, death came and sin and death it spread to everybody. If you run around, find someone that says, oh, not me. Look it. That's a product of their sin nature. It's called a liar because it is spread to all of us. And now notice verse 13. He says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. And so Paul really here, he's trying to cover theological arguments that may come up against this and what he is saying because some may say well you know we didn't get the law till moses which is far down the line from adam and so what he's saying here is that sin was in the world even before god gave the ten commandments or laws to moses even though those transgressions of the ten commandments was not put on the account directly because, again, I talked about the seatbelt law throughout Romans, how, you know, when I was in high school, they put forth, you have to wear a seatbelt. And so before that law was there, again, you're not transgressing the law because there was no law. But as soon as the law was put in, you got to put the seatbelt on. And it took me five tickets to start putting the seatbelt ticket, the seatbelt on. And, 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 you know, but he's saying here that even though, Sin was not imputed because, again, the transgression of the law, he's saying it didn't matter because, look, at they knew it was right and wrong because it was written on their hearts. And he's already talked about that in the epistle. Um, and we see this throughout the word. Back there in Romans 2.14, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things of the law, these, although they don't have the law, are a law to themselves. Verse 15 who show the work of the law written on their heart, their conscience also bearing witness. And it's kind of fascinating that in Genesis, before the law is given in Exodus, and Genesis covers a broad period of time, we see the word sin come up because it's written on man's heart. When Abel was, you know, 
his, his sacrifice was accepted by God, but God rejected Cain's. We know that the Lord, you know, it spoke to Cain and he said to him in verse seven, he says, if you do well, well, will you not be accepted? Look, if you bring the right sacrifice, it's going to be accepted. And then he said, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. In other words, look at sins there. It's out the door. What are you going to do? You're going to do what's right. Just go get a blood sacrifice and you're going to be fine. But you need to know sins lying at the door. And we know what that sin would be. He, and he said, and it's its desire that it should rule over you. And so we know what his sin would be. Remember, he would go and he would kill his brother. And so it was written on his heart already. He didn't need the written Ten Commandments. He already knew it was wrong to murder his brother because God has written his law on every man's heart. Again, we've talked about this. This is why when you go back and Again, history, you can go to almost any culture and there's going to be certain laws that all those cultures have. And almost every culture. Now, once they get reprobate enough and they get enough, you know, depravity and, and sin on sin on sin on sin. But listen, generally in every culture, you're going to find that if you murder somebody, yeah, you're going to get arrested for that. There's going to be consequences unless, you know, like you're a king or a ruler and everything around you stepping on everyone's neck, you know. There's marriage in just about every culture, about every ancient culture. There are certain things. If you steal, you're going to get your hand cut off in so many cultures and in ancient cultures and so forth. And that is, again, because his words written on our heart. A couple more examples in Genesis 18 uh, concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I'll go down and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that's against them to me and if not i will know and again the written law wasn't there but it was on the heart of men the sexual relations is supposed to be between one man and one woman and holy matrimony even from the example of adam and eve that had been passed down and a couple fellows getting together that was wrong and that was written upon their hearts And so, again, that law wasn't there, but the law was there is what he's saying. This is why even Joseph, when he was tempted to lie with Potiphar's wife, he said, why should I do this great evil and sin against God? Instead of he said, hey, it's not written down anywhere, but it was written down. It was written down in his heart. Verse 14, he builds on this. He says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And again, the law came from Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come again, even though they didn't have the Ten Commandments written. And even though from Adam to Moses, they didn't transgress like Adam did because they didn't have opportunity to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Guess what? The sin nature was still there and it was seen in what it was seen in their deaths. Sin comes and then death comes. Sin came through Adam. And what did they do? Generation after generation, they passed away and they died. And that was the product of Adam's sin, his rebellion. As it says there in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Like, what do I what do I earn from all this sinning? You know, what do I get? What's my reward? death that's what you get for it that's what your wages are that's what your earning is that's what it says on your paycheck 
I've sinned my whole life. You know, what do I earn? Here's your paycheck. You die. That's what you get for that. Praise God, though, what it says next there in Romans 6, 23. But the free the but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's where we're headed. We're at Adam, but we're headed towards Jesus. Praise God for that. Again, where there is no sin, there is no death. If Adam hadn't sinned and eaten of that tree, he'd still be walking around today. But he ate of that tree and death came. Now, that's true unless one lays down his life for sinners. And again, that's where we're headed to. And this is why Jesus said in John 10, 15, as the father knows me, even so I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, I lay down my life that I may take it again. And then he says in in John 15, 12, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You need to know people talk about who killed Jesus. The Romans killed Jesus. No, those Jews killed Jesus. No one could kill Jesus. My sins killed Jesus. No, Jesus laid down his life. I'll tell you on the cross, you're like, how could he endure that beating? They could have beat him all day. They couldn't kill him. He was immortal. He was without sin. And we'll get into a second. He came, uh, you know, as the Holy Spirit came upon a virgin so he could come without that sin nature to save sinners he laid his life down make no mistake don't give the jews or the romans or yourself that much credit he laid his life down our sin didn't kill him on the cross so he says here adam who's a type of him who was to come so again how is adam a type of christ and the answer is easy through their actions all mankind is affected adam for bad Praise God, Jesus, for good. Adam brings sin and death. Jesus brings righteousness and life. Notice verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more, in that phrase, wait, there's more, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Again, Adam is a type of Christ, but make no mistake, man and God, Adam and Jesus, they are not alike. Man's offense brought death to many. In fact, that many is to all. And side note here, practically, listen, sinful lifestyles often bring a earlier death than needed, than, than, than you know, what, what, what needed what could have not been the case. Get it out there one way or another. Look at this is why in the Ten Commandments when they were given. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Notice what it says. That your days may be long upon the land. Which the Lord God is giving you. Now this is said in the context of a mother and father. That's going to raise their child in godly principles. And he's saying here honor them. Do what they tell you to do. And guess what? Guess what comes out of that? Your life's going to last longer. Versus, I'm not going to honor them and these godly principles. I'm going to do what I want to do. Oftentimes, that brings an earlier practical death. Proverbs 6.26 says it like this. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. 
and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? In other words, you want to go and pursue a sinful lifestyle? Guess what? The odds of dying early and younger are stacking up and you're going to shorten your life in that. Now, again, this isn't a call for us to go and judge. Oh, you know, that guy died young. What was going on in his life? That's what Job's counselors did. They were wrong in their assessment of Job. But we we would be wise to assess ourselves, and we'd also be wise to understand, again, you want to do as you will and shun God's word? Life expectancy drops dramatically. Listen to the individual that uh, is is a, a drunkard. The average drunkard male lives to be 50 years old. Woman, 54 years old. We talked about this earlier in Romans, the homosexual lifestyle. The average man lives to be 42 years old. The average woman lives to be 44 years old. We know that we are in a culture that is gripped by pornography. The average age of a pornography actor is 37 years old. Guess what the average age of a gang member is? 20 years and five months. You don't see a lot of old gangsters running around. A lot of times that term OG, 28 years old, that's the truth of the matter. 26 years old, that's like a grandpa in a lot of these neighborhoods and so forth. So again, listen, offenses bring death. But praise God, praise God, it doesn't stop there. Praise God for what it says next. It's underlined there in your notes in verse 15. Much more, but wait, but wait, but wait. Much more, grace brings unmerited favor. Grace, again, God's grace and the gift of grace by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many and has brought life to all who will receive, verse 17, where we're going, or those who believe, as we've seen in Romans, as we'll see in Romans, as Jesus taught as Jesus said there in John six forty seven, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And when you believe in him to be your Lord and Savior, then you receive him into your life. And it says there in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of, less, not of works, lest we should boast. And again, that means of salvation Praise God. We won't go into great detail. We looked at it so many times. It was promised right after man sinned in the garden. As the Lord addressed the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And this is key to understanding all this. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is why, again, it was prophesied many years later, hundreds of years later in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. Again, man sinned, but God said a Savior is going to come. The serpent will bruise his heel, but that Savior is going to crush his head. He said he's going to come through the seed of woman. Well, no, not through man, because man had a sin nature. You're like, well, women are sinners too. Yeah, they are. <laughs> 
But God would come to a virgin. He would overshadow that virgin and conceive in her again. The second person of the Trinity would be conceived physically in her and he would come forth as the son of God, the son of man. But again, without a sin nature. So as we looked earlier, I think it was at our, our Christmas message in Matthew one twenty one. She will bring forth the son. You shall call his name Jesus for what he shall save his people from their sins. So Christ, Adam came from the dust. Jesus came from heaven. Jesus was born without a sin nature. Again, this is why the Holy Spirit overshadowed the virgin. This is why that's a huge doctrine. This is why if you run into a church, well, we don't believe in the virgin birth. Then their Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible, and their Jesus can't save anybody. And I'll tell you, this is the way liars work and false doctrines get in the church. I've talked about the Joker before, Rob Bell. You know, he was super popular for a while. Then people started hearing his doctrine, and some people are still into this guy. But in one of his books, he said, What's the big deal with the virgin birth? It wouldn't even make a difference, paraphrasing it, if if Jesus's father was some guy named Larry. And most people read that. Oh, yeah, you know, good point. Dude, you don't get anything if that's what you're thinking, because if Jesus father was Larry, a descendant of Adam, guess what? You're still damned to hell in your sin. I think that's kind of a big deal, don't you? So he came without a sin nature. So what? So he could do what? Second Corinthians 521 for he or the father made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or as it said there, we looked at it earlier, Romans 525 earlier in our study in Romans and weeks past. Who took speaking of Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses and raised up of our justification. So verse 16 It says, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Praise God. God's gift is nothing like man's sin. Thank you, Lord. Amen. (laughs) For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Again, man's offense there in the garden. When man ate of that tree, it brought condemnation. Make no mistake from the just judge God, not only upon Adam, but all his descendants. But the free gift. Praise God for that word, but. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So God's free gift has brought the means of justification from our offenses. You see how, again, one man brought sin, one man brought salvation. This is why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because everything else man drums up, we're going to find a means of saving ourselves. You're all a bunch of sons of Adam. You don't have the means. You're dead in the water. You do not have the means to save yourself. You're without strength to do it. But praise God, there was one strong enough to do it. It was Jesus Christ. I like how Paul goes into this in his letter to those in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterwards the spiritual. For The first man was from the earth made of dust. 
The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as I have borne and and as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Again, all those outside of Christ, look at they still bear the image of Adam, but when we come to Christ, now again we have we 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 are in the place of bearing the image of the heavenly man in the context there is talking about the resurrection and again shedding these sin natures. Verse 17. He says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, again, much more. He just keeps using that phrase, much more. What's grace? Grace is much more. Much more of what? Much more of unmerited favor. Much more of much more of much more. Much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So again, man's offense brought death. Death reigns. It means to rule over, to have kingship over. Death has brought, or sin's brought death, but much more. God, who is much more than man, has brought the gift of righteousness. And again, as we just read, it's available, or it will be bestowed upon all who do what? Who receive it. Again, notice verse 17, much more those who receive Abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So it's available. Grace, righteousness, it's available to all who will receive. I've actually heard people say before, how dare you say you receive Jesus? They've said that. You don't have the means to receive Jesus. That's putting an emphasis on man saving himself. You can't receive anything. Well, according to Romans 5.17, I can. Like, well, how do I receive? How do I receive this abundance of grace and eternal life? Do I just get lucky? I won the lotto. I'm one of the group that got, you know, picked. No, you believe. You receive when you believe. And that's on you. Like I said a few weeks ago, there's many people running around saying, if it's meant for me to accept Jesus, I will. And if I don't, that's on God. It ain't on God, it's on you. Now God's knocking on the door of the heart. God's the active party. God sent his son. God convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But you got to receive. And how do you receive? You receive when you believe. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Do you believe? Can you say amen to that this morning? Then you have received. Romans 10, 11. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the Lord, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know why this is written in part? There's no distinction between Jews and Greeks because the Jews said, we're the elect. The Greeks can't be saved. You ever, you know anyone that does that today? We're the group that can be saved. No one else. We got the lotto here. 
The Jews ran around. We're the only ones that can be saved. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Whoever believes. Whoever receives. Whoever receives when they believe they will be saved. And he says not only that there's much more. You also reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. Does this mean I'll reign in this life? In a way yes. And in a way no. First Peter 2 8. 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people to proclaim the praises of him. We're here to proclaim the praises of Jesus. We are not here to build kingdoms now and to reign now. And there's a lot of false doctrine running around saying we're going to build the kingdom of God here on earth and Jesus could come back. And this has crept into a whole lot of Christianity. It's called kingdom now theology. We're going to take over the world and Jesus could come back. We're going to conquer these seven areas of culture. We're going to claim all those Old Testament prophets to Israel. We're going to make armies. We're going to conquer the world. Well, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 or 3.12, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So yes, we reign, but not fully in the way that God's talking about here. We're going to reign, again, not on a short-lived time on this earth where we're here to represent the Lord, to know that we're going against the grain. Yeah, we reign. We have authority over the enemy. We reign. We have the presence of God where we go. But I don't reign in the sense here that I'm here to build kingdoms and become, you know, the king of a tasket arrow. I want to serve the king of kings. The second Timothy two twelve says, if we endure, we shall also reign with them. Revelation three twenty one to him overcomes. I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Revelation two or twenty two five. They shall reign forever and ever. Again, Adam's sin brings an eternal death. Jesus's life or, or salvation. The cross brings eternal life. Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life again adam's sin his sinful act brought judgment and condemnation to all men even so jesus righteous act has made the free gift of justification and eternal life available to a select few no all men hear this in context it's all no one would dare interject that condemnation hasn't come unto all men. So don't you dare twist God's word and say the free gift isn't available to all men. It's available to all men. Just as condemnation's on all men, the free gift has come to all men, and any who will receive through believing will be born again. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice he loved the world. But again, this is where people say, no, that's not saying about the world. He loves the elect. He loves us special folks that have been chosen. We're the lotto babies, you know, that's how the Jews thought before. Did that do them any good? No, he said there's neither Jew nor Greek. Whoever believes will be saved. Verse 19, 
We're almost done here. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. He just keeps hammering over and over and over and over again. (laughs) Moreover, the law entered that the offenses might abound, but where sin abounded, grace aboundeth much more. So why did he bring the law? Men were already sinning. It was on their heart. Men were dying as a result of sin. He brought the law to show men all the more they were sinners. To teach them how rotten they were and that they need to be saved. As we looked at many times there in Galatians 3.24, the law was our tutor or to teach us to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor. And then Romans 3.20, for by the laws of knowledge of sin. So he brought the law. And listen, it was so good when the law was in every schoolhouse because the kids would look at there and they would recognize, I don't keep that law, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And that's why the law came, that there would be more offenses. Or man would see how offensive he is to God. But praise God, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In other words, he is greater than man, sin, death. He is greater than the law that increased the knowledge of sin and that grace overcomes and defeats Whatever rebellion is thrown at it, it overcomes a little sin. And guess what? Grace overcomes a whole lot of sin. That's why I'm too big of a sinner. No, listen, where sin aboundeth, grace abounds more. Isn't that awesome to know? And then finally, 21, so that as sin reigned to death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So again, Adam's sin. Sin brings in death. Jesus, who is sinless, went to the cross for our sins to offer us the free gift of salvation and unmerited favor that grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Again, who through who? Christ Jesus, our Lord. So one man's act brought sin and death One man's act brings righteousness and eternal life. And then the question comes up, are you going to receive him and believe in him? Move from being under that law that damns you to come under grace that saves you? Or are you going to stay over here and again suffer the consequences of not only death in this life, but an eternal separation from God in a place called hell, the second death. And this is why Jesus and Jesus alone is that means of salvation. You're not going to find it anywhere else and by any other means. And so praise God for that. I hope this morning that even in looking at these things, you know, your heart stirred all the more. Just, just, Just to understand Again, how Jesus finished the work and through him we have salvation. And I just hope all the more it it just just gives you more of an adoration for the awesomeness of our God. Let's stand up and close here in prayer. Well, again, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, God. Oh, Lord, we're all sinners. We're all sinners out here in this garden. All we got to do is look at the law and it confirms it, Lord. We're transgressors of that law. 
Oh, but praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you that you were willing to come down to live a sinless life, to atone for our sins, that through you we could receive forgiveness, grace, righteousness, and salvation. I pray, God, that we'd be a people rejoicing. We'd be a people who would understand, God, why you came and why you did what you did and how you are the only way. Lord, I pray, God, that we would rejoice in these things, and I pray, God, we'd be generous in sharing this truth with others. You've put us here to proclaim your praise, to let the world know of the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us in that. And listen, if you're here today and you haven't called upon the Lord, today is a day of salvation. Have you received Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you called on His name? Do you believe in Him? He's invited you to Himself today. It's a matter of acknowledging your sin, asking the Lord to forgive you, asking Him to be your Lord and Savior, which, again, isn't saying, save me for a minute, It's saying, be the Lord of my life and save me all my days. Rule and reign over my life. Listen, if that's you who meets you where you're at even right now, call on Him. Lord, any in that place, meet them where they are even right now. Let's finish lifting our voices to the Lord and giving Him praise.
Right on. Well, we got a while before the next service. Sun's come out. Feels glorious in the sunshine. Why don't you guys encourage one another and just pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.